the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brook Show starts now. Happy Sunday, everybody. I hope you're having a great weekend, and uh, welcome to Yaron Brook Show. You know, uh, as we speak, uh, one of the great uh, modern tragedies uh, in the humanitarian crises, political crises, a, a, an authoritarian regime is is uh, establishing absolute control over its country. And one of the most striking things that I find right now is that there's almost no coverage in the American press about this. Almost no coverage. Talk about false news. Talk about bias in the news. Well, this is this is an example of the real bias that exists in the mainstream media, but but across the entire the entire board. Venezuela is descending into absolute authoritarianism. It's been an authoritarian state for over a decade, but with a semblance, with a pretense of uh, of democratic elections, of uh, some uh, protection of of rights. But that semblance, that pretense, has disappeared completely over the last few weeks. And it has been, indeed, disappearing slowly over the last uh, few years. But most Americans have no clue and, and uh, because it's not being covered by the media. You, you couldn't tell what's going on in Venezuela if, if you were just listening to news. I mean, once in a while, there'll be a story. But, you know, if, if, if one stabbing happens in Israel or, or, or one little thing happens in um in, in, in France, or if, uh, if, if the media thinks the, uh, the Israeli government is doing something bad, oh, it's all over the place, it's 24-7, nonstop. But here's a country close to the United States, not that far, Venezuela, you know, in the north part of South America, where that's descending into chaos. Uh, but, but, but not just chaos, it's descending into absolute authoritarianism, where the military is running the country where Maduro, who is the president of Venezuela, is becoming a complete totalitarian. He's always been an authoritarian. You know, the difference between authoritarianism and totalitarianism. Totalitarianism is, is they control every aspect of life, everything. You have no rights, nothing. Well, Venezuela is descending into that. People are starving. Literally, there's no food. Babies are dying. Even the New York Times uh, ran a story about that. So even they recognize the truth of that. Um but but there's absolutely almost very little coverage. And, and to me, it's interesting. It's interesting what's going on in Venezuela. And we're going to go over some of the events that are happening there. Um, but And it's interesting, the attitude of the left to what is going on in Venezuela. And maybe one strong indicator, among many, many others, that the uh, media is completely leftist biased, or at least much of the media is, is the fact that they're not covering it. I, I, I pulled up a story. This is from May 31st, 2017. Where is it? I, you know, I, I, uh, it doesn't really say here where it is. Anyway, it's, it's, it's kind of a review of um, media coverage of uh, Venezuela's slide into uh, authoritarian nightmare 
Uh, and it says, uh, you know, this is the opening opening sentence of the story. Out of approximately 50,000 total evening news stories on ABC, CBS, and NBC, so they just talk, told, took those three as representative, combined in the last four years, 50,000 total evening news stories on ABC, CBS, NBC over four years, right? Just 25, 25 out of 50,000 have covered the ongoing crisis in Venezuela. This is according to the Media Research Center, right? So uh, after Hugo Chavez, the former president, former dictator of, uh, of Venezuela, passed away or uh, died in March 2013, the country spiraled into complete economic disaster, civil chaos, although it was already an economic disaster before Chavez died. But luckily for him, I guess, uh, it, it really got bad only after he died. Uh, you know, people are dying People are eating their cats and dogs. Uh, uh, somebody, I think I've said this on the show before, somebody I know who was visiting Caracas, the, the capital of Venezuela, told me that there are no cats and dogs in the streets because people have eaten them all. They've already broken into the zoos and uh, eaten all the animals in the zoos. And um, there's no coverage of this. There's almost no coverage of this. Right, 25 out of 50,000. You cover everything else, but, you know, nothing. Right. Nothing. So why is it? Why is it? We're going to talk about that. But but what I want to first I want to talk about is, is what's happening right now in Venezuela. Just to kind of bring you up to speed, given that the, the media is not covering this, not covering this the way it should be covered, not covering this to the extent that it should be covered. Uh, I'd like to just bring you up to speed and just some of the political developments. There was a attempted coup. Uh, in the last uh, couple of days, which was crushed by the military. Another question we should ask ourselves is, why is the military supporting uh, this authoritarian and totalitarian? Uh, and why is the opposition, even though most uh, surveys show that the opposition uh, is dominant in Venezuela right now, has, has a majority of the people, why is it so impotent? Why is it struggling so badly? So those are good questions to hold in the back of your mind. Why is the opposition so bad? Why is the military supporting this regime? And why is the press in the United States not covering it? Why do we hear nothing from bleeding heart human rights advocates on the left about the situation in Venezuela? Why aren't there demonstrations in the streets? Why isn't there an encouragement for the uh, Trump administration to do something, at least in the sense of, uh, political sanctions, which they've done a little bit of, but why, why, you know, why isn't there an, an uprising uh, in the United States in terms of voices, even even Latin America voices, about doing something about this? Or, you know, I, I, God forbid, we should militarily intervene. That that would be a disaster. But but why is there silence across the board? Relative silence. That's the question from everywhere. And why is the opposition so impotent? All right. So uh, just uh, today, so uh, 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 last week, um, there was a mock election in Venezuela to uh, elect a, um, a constitutional assembly. And a constitutional assembly has the power to overrule any decision of parliament, any decision of any government entity to rewrite the constitution and basically act as the authoritarian leader 
of uh, of the country. It can do anything it wants. It 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 is not beholden to anybody. And a constitutional assembly is usually appointed for a short period of time. Uh, this constitutional assembly just decided that it was going to uh, be around for for two years, uh, which is a long time for this kind of assembly traditionally in in these kind of Latin American countries. Um, again, no human rights uh, um, uh, organization has condemned this or anything. Now, the, the, this was held by an election. Uh, the Constitutional Assembly was, was voted in by an election. Uh, it, the, the government claims that 8 million people voted in this election. The interesting thing is the private company that provided the software and supervised this whole election uh, claims that it's complete sham, that it's complete fraud, that none of the election, uh, n- none of the election results are legitimate. Nobody cares. I mean, the Trump administration, I guess, cares a little bit. They've put some, a few, a few sanctions in Venezuela, but but you're not hearing again this rampant fraud in election headline anywhere. No, nobody cares. Maduro, who is the current president, uh, has complete control over this assembly. The assembly includes his wife and his son, a part of it. Uh, they have just assembly and, and, uh, as part of the assembly and following the assembly, the Supreme Court have just fired the attorney general. Um, early on Saturday morning, early yesterday morning, they fired the attorney general. The attorney general was stood up to the president, which is funny because the attorney general used to be a huge supporter of this president and helped the president get the political power, uh, that he has today. Uh, all of this is going on, right? Crushing of an uprising, uh, a constitutional, unconstitutional, constitutional assembly taking complete power over Venezuela, in a sense, granting that complete power to Maduro, the current dictator of Venezuela. Attorney General is being fired. If this happened in almost any other country, certainly if this was happening in what was perceived to be a right-leaning government, then... You know, uh, uh, the media would be all over this. So what's interesting here that I would argue is because Venezuela is perceived to be a socialist government, everybody's quiet, nobody's talking about it, nobody cares, and everybody is actually in support of this corrupt, dangerous, horrific regime. All right, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Iran Brooks Show on uh, the Blaze Radio Network. And when we come back, we'll continue our discussion of why, why, why socialism is never criticized. Venezuela is not criticized because it's the collapse of socialism. All right. We'll be back right after this break. Best-selling author, prolific media contributor, PhD in finance. This is the Yaron Brook Show, the Blaze Radio Network. So one of the great tragedies about the situation in Venezuela is the fact that we're talking about a country that has the largest oil reserves in the world, more than Saudi Arabia. We're talking about a country that just 20 years ago 
was on a per capita basis the richest country in all of Latin America. We're talking about a country that has gone from the richest country in Latin America now to the poorest country in Latin America, in spite of the fact that they have natural resources, immense natural resources. Again, more oil than Saudi Arabia. But it's not just oil. They have fertile land. And yet right now they can't produce enough food to feed themselves. They have other types of natural resources. And yet it doesn't matter. They are crushed. They've been crushed by two socialist administrations, by the administration of Hugo Chavez and now Maduro. And, and what did socialism do? How can socialism destroy this? I mean, you're you blaming socialism for this? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It is the socialist policies. In Venezuela, of Hugo Chavez and of Maduro, the turn Venezuela from the richest country in the world, in, in Latin America, to the poorest country in Latin America. It is their policies of taking private land, private agricultural corporation, private, uh, private, uh, agricultural businesses and nationalizing them and stealing their land and stealing their factories. It's the Chavez and Maduro governments that instituted the policies of socialism, of redistribution of wealth, of not investing in the oil extraction so that even though they have oil reserves, they can't get them because they don't have the capital to invest because they blew all the money. I don't know how much Chavez died within the bank account in Switzerland. Redistributed wealth, that's all gone. It's disappeared. Destroyed whatever elements of capital investment they were in, in, in Venezuela. And this is what happens when you take a country that's relatively rich, which Venezuela was. And, he, and, and granted, Venezuela was never a capitalist. It was never free. So you had a lot of poor people who didn't have to be poor. If the country had been capitalist, if the reforms had been instituted, had been capitalist reforms, then what would you've got is a redistribution of wealth through the market processes to from those who are less productive to those who are more productive. And actually, the poor would have been risen up and become much better off in Venezuela. That's the pattern in, in, in every successful country in history. The poor get better not because of redistribution of wealth. The poor get better because they get jobs, because their productivity rises, and therefore their wages rises, and therefore they can afford more and more and more stuff. And that's what defines their exit from poverty is that they can afford not just food, but now they can afford housing and they can afford technology and they can afford a good life. That can only be achieved. That can only be achieved with freedom, with, with free markets to produce, to consume, to employ, to fire, you need the flexibility of free markets in order to allow for the poor to rise up from poverty. But what is the solution in Venezuela? What is the solution everywhere? What's the solution here in the United States to poverty? It's the war on poverty. It's let's take money from some people and give it to others, and we've solved the problem. Then how come we still have poor people in America? How come we still have a war on poverty going on? Why wasn't the problem solved in the 60s and 70s? Because redistribution of wealth never solves the problem of poverty. 
it never solves the problem problem of poverty. It makes it potentially worse. And certainly in Venezuela, it made it worse. Now, for a while, Venezuela had a lot of money. Cubans, uh, they were, had so much money, they were helping Cuba. They were sending gazillions of dollars to Cuba. But they also had a lot of money from oil. And they had a lot of money from taxing and taking money from property from the, from the wealthy. And they redistributed it. And for a while, that raises the standard of living of the poor. But at some point, that money runs out. At some point, oil prices go down. At some point, if you're not a greedy capitalist and reinvesting your profits into the industry, like the oil industry, into technology, you're... You know, your uh, um, infrastructure that pumps out the oil decays, gets destroyed, and disappears. At some point, at some point, there's no more money to redistribute. And at that point, people become poorer and poorer and poorer because the poor who got that money didn't invest it. They didn't save it. They consumed it. And the wealthy who were Businessmen primarily, all their money was taken away, so they didn't invest it. So they didn't grow their businesses. The oil industry is dying, dead. Where's the money going to come from to keep redistributing to people? It doesn't exist. It's not there. Now, what's fascinating in addition to this is that in 1973, the poorest country in Latin America, Chile, Abandoned its short-lived experiment with socialism. And it didn't quite embrace capitalism until uh, the, the early 1980s. But, but in the early 1980s, it actually embraced elements of capitalism, significant elements of capitalism, making it the freest economy of, uh, of Latin America. Well, in 1973, Chilean income was 36% of that of Venezuela. Today... Chileans are 51% richer than Venezuelans. Indeed, Chileans, their income has risen 228% during that period. Venezuelans became 21% poorer during that period, 1973. And yet, and yet, now, I'm not an apologist for the regime who made this switch in Chile. You know, I'm getting old, and and uh, names of people just escape uh, escape my uh, my meager my meager brain. But um, the Chilean dictator was an awful human being, a violator of individual rights, killed a lot of people, did not believe in free speech, did not believe in freedom, and yet he has attacked viciously, constantly, justifiably, but. At the same time, he brought about economic prosperity in Chile. Pinochet was his name, right? General Pinochet. He also transitioned Chile from his authoritarian regime to a what today is one of the freest governments in Latin America, probably in the world. So he actually peacefully transitioned. On the other hand, you have in Venezuela an authoritarian equal in their brutality to Pinochet. And impoverishing his own people, and they get a free ride. All right, we're going to have to take a, a, a break in a few seconds here. Uh, you're listening to your Ron Brook show. Um, why is it? Why is it that Pinochet got such a bad rap and that Mudoro and Chavez are scot free? We'll be right back after this break. To get 
dancing. You're on. Rock. On the Blaze Radio Network. So we're talking about Venezuela today, uh, a country that used to be the richest country in Latin America today, the poorest. People are starving. Uh, the, the government there is taking over complete control over the economy, over the lives of people. It's becoming absolutist. It's becoming totalitarian. And yet, very little from our media, very little coverage. Nobody accuses. I, I haven't seen any celebrity go out there on television and, and complain about what's going on in Venezuela. We compared it a little bit to Chile. And um, and the fact that when, uh, you know, if, if, when Pinochet was running Chile, oh, celebrities were constantly attacking him, constantly berating him. Now, again, I, I, he, was, he was bad on many, many fronts. But note the contrast. If you're an authoritarian on the left, you can get away with murder. An authoritarian on the right can't do anything. And, and when an authoritarian on the right does something good, like free up the Chilean economy, as uh, Pinochet did, that creates incredible wealth, and ultimately you walk away from your authoritarian position and you allow for elections and you allow for real freedom, you're still hounded and you're still prosecuted and you're still condemned and you're still hated. But you, when you're Hugo Chavez, when you're a leftist, and you basically destroy your country and you imprison and kill your political opponents. You get a free ride. You're considered a hero. A hero. Noam Chomsky, Noam Chomsky, one of Pinochet's biggest critics, of course, is one of uh, Hugo Chavez's his biggest apologists. He loves what Hugo Chavez did. He, he you know, he, he brought 80% of his people out of poverty. Really? Really? You know, go, go, go look at Venezuela right now. Sure, you can take other people's money, redistribute it for a little while, and pretend that people are out of poverty. Not because they have jobs, but they got free money, right? Now, remember, Noam Chomsky is on a, also an apologist for the Khmer Rouge, the Sandinistas, Mao Zedong. And if he'd been a little younger, he would have been an apologist for Stalin. And of course, this brings up a much bigger question. Not only aren't we critical of Venezuela, but really, how many movies have you seen outlining and detailing the evils of communism, of, of the, the slaughter of innocence that Stalin and Lenin and, and Mao Zedong engaged in, that tens of millions of people that were killed? How many intellectuals, how many intellectuals, particularly on the left, have condemned communism as evil and barbaric? as a murderous ideology. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we should condemn Nazism, but for every, for, for every anti-communist movie, there are a thousand anti-Nazi movies. Why? Why can't we condemn communism? should be easy. They only killed 100 to 200 million people. Why don't, why don't we condemn the Khmer Rouge? 
Indeed, there are people from the Khmer Rouge who are in the government in Cambodia today. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. It's as if Nazis were part of the German government today. Nobody cares. You know, for, for forever, the left was ap apologized, justified, covered for the crimes. Crimes is an understatement of Joseph Stalin, of his reign of terror, of the brutality of communism. And now they're doing the same thing for Hugo Chavez and Maduro in Venezuela. Sean Penn, Oliver Stone, Michael Moore. I uh, got some others, uh, you know, Sean Penn is uh, Antonio Bandaras, you know, love the fact that, that Chavez sees private business as a, it should be a model to be emulated across the world. Antonio Bandaras said that. Oliver Stone considered Chavez a great hero. Sean Penn, champion of the world's poor. Jesse Merson, well, well known journalist in the Rolling Stones. Very cool. Very cool columnist. Actually, Jesse Masson, I think that's a Jesse Masson. I think I debated him on Stasso once. He's, he's, he's the avowed communist. How can there be avowed communists who gain any kind of respect, who have a column in the Rolling Stones? I mean, if you were an avowed Nazi, you wouldn't have a column in the Rolling Stones, but an avowed communist can get a, a column in the Rolling Stones. How can that be? How is that possible? Communists, they killed over 100 million people. Well, you know, he called the economic programs of uh, Chavez and Maduro basically terrific. Uh, Masson insisted that Venezuela's electoral system, full of fraud, full of corruption, completely rigged. He says the electoral system's integrity puts the U.S. to adjunct shame. Really? Now, this is at the same time, same period where the opposition leaders in Venezuela are being hauled off in the middle of the night to prison. And yet, they get a free pass, these people. They're all, they're all apologists for Maduro and Chavez and socialism and communism. And it doesn't matter how many people communism kills. It doesn't matter how many people die of starvation because of socialism. It doesn't matter how many babies don't have enough food in Venezuela and they're dying they will still back their hero Chavez and their hero Maduro. And nobody cares. Nobody cares. Certainly in our media, nobody cares. You get a few, you know, there's an article in Reason, and John Stossel has done a story about this, and, and a few people here and there. But nothing. Silence. Silence is a great country, a formerly rich country, a beautiful country. Uh, in the past, an incredibly productive country just sinks into the gutters. And even opposition in Venezuela, why is there no revolution? Why isn't there armed rebellion? What are they doing? What are they hoping for? Well, it turns out one of the problems is that the opposition is completely splintered. They disagree about everything. They don't agree about anything, and uh, they can't get their act together. So revolution, whew, that is uh, far too much to ask from them. All right, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on why. I, 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 this is my question. Why can they get away with it? Why can the left basically get away with murder?
What is it about what the lift stands for? What is it about what they represent? What is it about the world in which we live that allows the left to advocate for evil, evil, and get away with it? All right, 888-900-3393, I'm curious what you think. And if anybody out there is actually from Venezuela, it would be great to hear from you. If anybody out there uh, has relatives in Venezuela or, 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 or has a personal story about what's going on there, I'd be happy to hear from you. Uh, if any of you actually think what is happening in Venezuela is a good thing, if you're a Chavez fan, please call 888-900-3393. Curious, why do you think these people can get away with it? And when we get back, we're going to talk about why I think they get away with it, why I think they've been getting away with it for 50, 60, 70 years, and what we need to do, what we need to do to change that, and why fundamentally the opposition in Venezuela is impotent. All right, you're listening to the Iran Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. We'll be right back after this break. Israeli military veteran and radical for capitalism. It's the Yaron Brooks Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. We're talking about Venezuela today and uh, the fact that it's getting almost no coverage in spite of the fact that it is a country spiraling into authoritarianism, totalitarianism, has been for many, many, many years. And yet nobody cares. Nobody seems to care. And many, many in our media and on the left are apologists for the current regime. Indeed, in uh, ABC's World News Tonight has not mentioned the word socialism or socialist once in connection with Venezuela since Chavez died in 2013. Here's a country imploding because of socialism, and our media will not identify it as such. Unbelievable. All right, we got Kenneth on the line, who I'm not sure what he was, something about right versus left. Hey, Kenneth, how's it going? Great. How are you doing, Dr. Brooke? I'm good. I'm good. So, so what do you think this about- is? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, why is the left getting away with it? I think it's because the left buys into the moral premise that all the socialist experiments uh, have at their root, which is that if there's inequality, material inequality between people, then some kind of injustice must have occurred, right? That's right. So, you know, naturally, even if the experiment results in great destruction or, you know, creates more damage than it does good, if the motives are pure, they don't feel morally compelled to condemn it and i think it's kind of embarrassing for them and it well i wish it was embarrassing for them because honesty than they have because maybe you know, if it was embarrassing yeah. for him maybe maybe young people wouldn't be so attracted to them but but the young people are attracted to their message in spite of the fact that it should be embarrassing they they should be hiding they should be under their academic desks they should be off of television nobody should ever listen to a word uh, uh, Sean Penn or, 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 or what's his name, Moore or, or, or any of these celebrities ever say again. And yet we constantly go back to them for more and more insight into this. And I think so. I think it's much worse than what you're saying. I think you're absolutely right. The, the bottom line is 
that the left in this country has the moral high ground and the right has abandoned the moral high ground a long, long time ago. And because of that, the right is afraid to criticize the left and doesn't really stand up to the left. And the left can't criticize their own failed experiments because if they did, that would reveal the true nature of what they stand for. Yeah, I think the myth of equity is just it really resonates with people and it has for thousands of years. And that's just it's something that it's really intoxicating and it's just something we we can't get over psychologically, I think. And young people, you know, you say, like, why don't they why don't they clue up? Well, young people are stupid. You're on. You know, you know, I was young. You were young once. I don't know. I mean, we were somewhat stupid, but but it's not that they're stupid. It's that they take seriously what too seriously. What the professors teach them, it's that they that they they tolerate it, but it's also because they've been indoctrinated by certain moral high ground, and they have accepted that moral high ground. So, thanks, Kenneth. You you you've set me on the right path. I, I, I appreciate the call. Uh, look, what is that moral high ground? That moral high ground basically says that your life is not yours. That moral high ground basically says that the group is more important than the individual. That moral high ground basically says that it's okay to sacrifice some people. Indeed. It is mandatory to sacrifice some people for the sake of other people. After all, isn't sacrifice wonderful and noble and good? The more high ground is that being self-interested is evil, it's bad. And that being caring and sacrificing for the greater good of whatever is good and noble. And as you said, Kenneth, the more high ground is that equality of outcome in one way or another or as conservatives likes to say it, equality of opportunity, as if there's a difference between equality of outcome and equality of opportunity. We're still going to steal stuff from some people and give it to others. That's all good. That's all good. And that's noble. And that's just. And yeah, and some people have to suffer as a consequence. So what? So, so the capitalists get their money taken away from them. So what? It's for greater good. It's for, it's for the common good. It's for the public interest. And until we are willing to criticize the morality of altruism that lays at the core of this, the morality of altruism that says that your moral responsibility in life is to sacrifice for those who don't have any. Your moral responsibility in life is to, 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 to take care of the needs of those who need something that you might have. As long as we hold the morality of altruism as our standard for morality, socialism wins over and over and over again. And, you know, it's a good morality. It just, it's not applied right. You know, so they try it with communism and a hundred, hundred million people die. They try it in Venezuelans. They just are not getting it right. But look, the morality is a good morality. We just have to find the right political vehicle for it. No. The morality is evil. The morality is wrong. The Weimar Code is a moral code on which implicitly the United States of America was founded. The moral code that is implicit in capitalism. And that is the moral code that says that you, your moral responsibility is to take care of your own life. To make the most of your own life. To be self-interested in a rational, long-term sense. That moral code would not tolerate socialism. You don't tell me how to live and what to do. You can't take my money. I produced it. I created it. But you see, nobody on the right has the guts to stand up to the socialists because we bought into their moral code. 
And why doesn't the opposition rise up in Venezuela? Because they're socialists, it turns out. They're just a different brand of socialists. They're socialist light. If we were centrally planning the economy, it would be a lot better. Or at least a significant portion of them are socialists. And when the demonstrators are uh, uh, interviewed in Venezuela and Caracas, they all claim to be socialists too. Just a different brand of socialism. Socialism is evil. It's thoroughly evil. From beginning to end, there is no good socialist. There is no good socialism. There is no moderate socialism. It's an it's a ideology that leads to death and destruction, which is what the morality of altruism necessitates. Your life is yours. Nobody else's. Live it. Live it. Live it. And don't let other people tell you how to. Don't let other people force themselves on you. All right. You're listening to the only radio show where you'll hear this stuff. The Iran Book Show on the Blaze Radio Network. We will be back. You're listening to the Yaron Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brook Show starts now. All right, we're talking about Venezuela. I have been talking about Venezuela. I want to get to a different topic in a little while, but... I think the important thing to note here is that the morality of altruism, which is what we talked about in the previous segment, the morality of socialism, the morality that says your moral responsibility is to take care of those in need. Your moral responsibility is to sacrifice for the poor. Your moral responsibility is to help whoever needs help. And the state is there just to help you out. It's to encourage you. It's to redistribute some of your wealth. And that the moral ideal in the utopia of the future, in some theoretical way, the, 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 the ideal is equality. Equality of outcome, equality of opportunity, some equality. Not equality before the law, not political equality. That would be too founding fathers-like. That would be too rational. No, equality of actual outcome. All of that is consistent with socialism. And the right cannot defeat the left, will not defeat the left. As long as it holds this morality, and of course it does hold this morality. The right agrees with the left on the goal. The right agrees with the left on the moral code. It might disagree a little bit on the means, but just a little bit. It's like the opposition of Venezuela. They agree with Maduro and Chavez about the goals, even about the ideology. It means they think they're a little too harsh. I just, uh, during the break, there was a news story by John Kasich about John Kasich and, and Democratic governors, they want to get together to, to, to fix our healthcare system. And what's the standard? The standard's universal healthcare, equal healthcare for everybody. The standard is that a Republican, so-called on the right, wants to impose on us is some form of socialism. And uh, one of the things is they, they said they want to stabilize private markets. You know how you stabilize private markets? Actually, why would you want to stabilize private markets? Isn't one of the beauties of private markets is that they're not stable? They keep changing. They keep innovating. They keep lowering prices. But if you want to stabilize them in their terms, get out of the way. Lower regulations. 
But these Republicans are just like Democrats. And we'll get we'll get in a minute to more central planning Republicans uh, in a little while. The right cannot defeat the left. The right cannot defeat the left as long as the right holds the same fundamental ideas as the left. And they do. And this includes Trump and Bannon and Kasich and McCain and Ryan and all of them. We need a new opposition party in this country. We need the opposition party of the founders. We need the opposition party of the individualists. We need to reject collectivism and everything that's involved in it. And until you have a real opposition party, and Venezuela needs this. It needs an opposition party of capitalists, of individualists, of self-interested individuals who want to pursue, God forbid, happiness, their happiness. So it's time, it's time, it's time, it's time to get rid of these Republicans, get rid of these Democrats, and replace them with real opposition. There's no difference right now between uh, uh, Trump and, and Obama. It's, it's, it's little, little, little stuff. But at the fundamental, no difference. Sorry. I know a lot of Trump fans, they hate my guts. But okay. All right, we got Al on the line who wants to talk more about socialism. Hey, Al. Hey, how's it going, your own? I'm I'm doing well. A little, little excited today, but that's yeah. good. I think makes good radio. I, I think one of the biggest problems, you know, especially for the younger generation, you know, because they don't know any better. The older people who are teaching should know better, but they keep being told that fascism and Nazis are this far right ideology, and you know, the left is the communism and socialism. You know, it's like they they somehow don't realize that you know Nazi stands for National Socialist. You know, and so they, they, they associate with the far right. And it's like the only thing further left than Nazi is, is the communists, you know. Yep. And, yep. and you're, you're yeah, absolutely but, right about the fact that, you know, on the right, the Republicans can't fight this because, you know, my local senator just posted something on his Facebook page there. They talked about trying to develop a, you know, a politics of service and sacrifice. Versus, oh, my God. <laughs> versus uh, partisanship and egotism. And it's like, and I, I posted on the rock, he put, said that, I'm like, and this is why the Democrats keep pushing this country further left, because you have this idea of service and sacrifice, it's, you know? No, you're absolutely right, Al. And that's right. The, the right is just as guilty here. The service and sacrifice only plays right into the hands of the left, right into the hands of socialism. That is exactly the language that needs to be, or the ideas that need to be abandoned. The whole idea of the sacrifice of the individual for the group. The whole vocabulary, the public interest, the common good, has to be abolished on the right. And and in this sense, I've said this before, I don't buy into right-left anymore. The only interesting, the only meaningful political spectrum is a political spectrum from individualism to collectivism. And individualism equals capitalism. Collectivism equals socialism, communism, Nazism, uh, all forms of authoritarianism. They're all on the same side. Call it left, call it right. It doesn't matter what we call left or right. Those are confusing terms today. The way to think about it is... um, individualism versus collectivism. And the nice thing about individualism versus collectivism is it goes deeper than just political terms. It goes to the moral essence. It goes to the philosophical essence. A collectivist believes 
that that it's okay to sacrifice the individual for the sake of the collective, the public, the the, the good of the country or whatever. And that collective could be a so-called right-wing collective, fascism, the country, or the blood or the race, or it could be a left-wing collective, uh, the proletarian, the poor, you know, fill in the blank. But the essential is the same. Individual doesn't matter. What matters is the group, and we're going to sacrifice as many individuals as many times for the sake of the group as possible. And that is the essence of both left and right. That's the yeah. essence of Bannon and Chavez. And what and, another thing against me is that these religious people think that they're opposed to the the socialists and everything. On, on, you know, and it's like, yeah, you know, take, yeah. So take, let's let's sacrifice individuals not for the state or not for the proletarian. Let's sacrifice individuals to God, or let's sacrifice individuals to the church, or let's sacrifice individuals to some other good cause that they believe in. And no, I say. And the founders of this country said no. They said no, individuals, on ending themselves, you don't get to sacrifice anybody for anything. We are free. We have a right to our own life, a right to our own liberty, and a right to pursue our own happiness. That is the essential of what made this country great, and it's essential of what we're losing. It's essential of what Republicans and Democrats have lost. And if you take a second to read the Communist Manifesto, Mark says in there, that all these religious ideals that these people have been preached to all their lives, you know, are the very foundation of makes it so easy for them to be converted to, to communists because Absolutely. it's the same ideals. Absolutely. My view and is that communism would... is just secularized, a certain version. It's secularized a certain version of Christianity, and it's, it, Christianity softens people up in the sense that they are willing to commit the sacrifice, they are willing to place the well-being of the collective above the well-being of the individual, and then communism sweeps in and says, okay, let's take this seriously, let's right. actually do it, here's how we do it, and, and it takes advantage of their economic insecurities and the lack of answers that religion can provide them and provides them with answers. But it's the same kind of collectivistic views, and, right. and we're not going to win the battle. We're not going to win the battle for freedom, for liberty, for capitalism, Unless we advocate consistently for individualism, and individualism right. requires a philosophical foundation in, in rational egoism, and rational egoism requires a philosophical foundation for reason. Reason as man's basic means of survival. Reason is how we learn about the world, not revelation, but the use of our senses and the use of our mind. All right. Thanks, Al. Really appreciate the call. Uh, you're, you're spot on. I agree with you completely, and which, which is pretty rare in this world. Almost nobody agrees with me completely. Um, it, you know, so so Venezuela is is, is deteriorating, is almost gone. Um, it, it's authoritarian, totalitarian. Nobody cares. Nobody cares because they're all socialists. They're all collectivists. Nobody talks about it because it's more proof that their ideal, their socialist ideal, is destructive. You know, uh, Bernie Sanders is never going to raise this because he wants socialism and he ran for uh, socialism. And no professor is going to raise this because then what would he tell the kids? What would he tell his students when he's been teaching them the idea, the, the, the beauty of socialism? And here's an example of it failing and collapsing and being destroyed. Right. And, and all I would say is my sympathies are with the Venezuelan people. I wish you had better ideas. I wish you had a better foundation for liberty. I think it's time to pick up arms and to go into uh, into into revolution uh, when the, your government becomes as authoritarian, when it steals elections, when free speech is denied of you. It is the time for revolution, but the right revolution, 
Look at the founding principles of America. Look at the Declaration of Independence. That's what should inspire you, not a softer form of socialism. All right. When we come back, I want to talk about the Trump administration's new immigration policy. I want to talk about um, is that more central planning? What do you think about what do you think about the immigration policy that we just heard from Trump? And um, all right, and and if we have time, there's some Bannon stories uh, or Bannon rumors that I'd like uh, to discuss as well. Okay, you're listening to the Iran Book Show on Block Talk Ra- on <laughs> the Blaze Radio Network. We will be right back after this break. PhD, author, media contributor. This is the Yaron Brooks Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Iran Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, so let's go from the evils of socialism to the ever controversial number one topic that people hate me for, and that is immigration. I, I think it's the same issue. At the end of the day, the question is are you an individualist or are you a collectivist? And I find almost all of the people who are anti immigration to be collectivist of one form or another. Most of them hide it well, but they're all collectivists. But let's take this latest bi- this latest proposal. It's not a bill, and it probably won't pass. But since Trump made such a big deal out of it, and he backed it and everything, it's a, it's a bill proposed by Republican Senator, I think, Cotton and, and a congressman, to uh, uh, re- uh, revise, if you will, our uh, legal immigration system. Now, let me say right off the bat, I think our legal immigration system needs revision. It needs to be scrapped. It needs to start over. It's a complete and utter disaster. And some of the problems in our current immigration system, some of our problem in the current immigration system, are addressed in this bill. So some of this family unification, the emphasis on family unification, I, I think that's, that is, should not be an emph- thing to emphasize in um, in an immigra- legal immigration bill. Uh, so uh, so the fact that today uh, most immigrants who come to this country, legal immigrants who come to this country, come for family u- reunification, to me, I- I- is not justifiable. It's also way, way, way too difficult for anybody with skill, but more importantly, any kind of skill, not just high and skill, any kind of skill. For anybody with skill or anybody with a true desire to work at any job, it's way, way, way too difficult for them to get into this country. So what does this bill do? It shrinks the number of legal immigrants from a million a year to half a million a year within, I think, four or five years. It, instead of expanding the work visa program, the H-1B green card visa programs, it keeps them static to shrink them. It does away with a lot of the family stuff. I'm, I'm okay with that. But instead of using that as an opportunity to expand 
the number of people coming into this country to work, instead of making it really, really easy for the most talented, ambitious people in the world to come to this country to make a living, to be entrepreneurs at any level, from whether they work in restaurants or cutting our lawn to computer programmers, entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley. The fact is that this system makes it more difficult. Now you have points, all kinds of points. And who gets to rig the points? When the Republicans are there, the point system will favor the things Republicans care about. I don't know, speaking English. When uh, the Democrats are there, it'll favor the things Democrats care about. I don't know how socialist you are. I, I have no idea. Now you get points, and, and um, the government is going to give points to different professions. In other words, what we get is a Republican proposal for the government to decide which professions are more important than others. I don't know. That kind of sounds like Chavez to me. It kind of sounds like socialist central planning to me. Let the market work. If the market demands a certain skill set, and it let them import it. Oh, but what about American workers? Compete. Compete. Isn't that what we tell our kids? They should compete? Uh oh, if we become such a European-like lazy society in which we are guaranteeing people jobs and guaranteeing they will never have competition and guaranteeing them a middle-class life, no, freedom entails competition. Freedom entails being good at what you do and staying good at what you do and being more productive than the competitors. Compete. And yeah, no, what, what this proposal and what most Republican proposals want to do is they want to restrict immigration. And I've been saying this for years, and I've been told, I, everybody tells me this, oh, no, 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 you're on, you don't get it. We love immigrants. We want more immigrants. What we don't like is illegal immigration. Illegal immigration. That's the real problem. That's what we really hate. Now, this exposes that lie. It's not about illegal immigration. It was never about illegal immigration. What Trump and most of his supporters want is fewer immigrants. They don't want me to come. Why? Because I shake things up. Because I challenge them. They don't want foreigners. Now, oh, okay, so I, 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 should, I should. Full disclosure, I am an immigrant to this country, a legal immigrant to this country. I don't know if under these laws, uh, this point system, I would have been allowed in. I don't know. I don't know if you want any more uh, finance PhDs who are, also, uh, who are also Jewish. You know, you might have enough of those. Um, who knows what the point system will do? So here's more central planning. This is why the right cannot defeat the left. Because they all agree we should centrally plan. All of them. Just the right wants to centrally plan immigration, and the left wants to centrally plan. They also want to centrally plan immigration, but they want to centrally plan other things. But they all believe central planning is a good thing. They all believe the role of government is far, 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 far far broader than what the founding fathers of this country believed. There's no big difference between Republicans and Democrats, just an emphasis. So uh, 
this immigration bill that is being proposed is a travesty. Anybody who believes in liberty and freedom uh, uh, should be against it. Look, at the end of the day, as an American, and I'm an American citizen now, if, if I want to go and hire a bunch of Swedes to work in my company, how is it your business? How is it your business? I mean, assume that these Swedes are uh, peaceful. They're not gonna. They're not gonna kill anybody. They're not gonna. You know, they 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 don't have infectious diseases. They don't. I don't know. They're not terrorists. They're not criminals. What is it? Any of your business? Who I hire to work in my company? How by restricting immigrants, particularly when it comes to work, you're restricting my rights as an American. I'm not talking about the immigrants' rights. They have rights as well. But my rights as an American, I don't get to invite people to come and work for me. But you know what? Some of the most talented people in the world don't live in the United States, and I want them. All right, we'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Ron Brooks Show. You won't hear traditional political views here. This is the Ron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Immigration. I don't know a single topic that gets people more upset at me than this topic. It is amazing to me how uh, angry, how vicious, how emotional people get around this topic um, more than any other topic. And to me, it suggests, I don't know, something's wrong because it, it, it's it's pretty amazing to me that um, that. We can disagree about a lot of things, but this one just, whoa, you, you know, it's, it's just unbelievable. Um, you can call in. You, you can get emotional uh, over the phone with me if you want, other than just uh, some of the comments online. 888-900-3393, Okay, so let me give you my solution for immigration today. I'm not talking about some free market utopia one day. Uh, utopia is the wrong word. Some free market um, um country one day. I'm talking about today in America with entitlements and everything. Uh, let's take today's system and I'll give you my solution. And then I'll, I'll take some of your objections. I know, you know, uh, uh, what if they have bad ideas, the immigrants? And what about entitlements? So let's take, uh, let's take my solution. I, and this is a solution that was actually proposed in Congress a few years ago. A woman by the name of Helen Kriebel uh, circulated a bill uh, around this and it, it went nowhere, unfortunately. But I, I, I thought it was actually a, a really good solution. And it, it somewhat returns back to a, an old system before 1965, before the 1965 immigration reform, which basically opens a, a divorced immigration from work. I would like to see us resurrect the connection between immigration and work as long as we have an enti- a welfare entitlement state. And what I'd like to see is that people can show evidence that they have a job before they're, they're allowed into the United States. Again, the job could be as strawberry pickers or the job could be as a, as a computer scientist somewhere. Um, you know, this, this could be, in the old days, it was a sponsorship. 
it doesn't need a sponsorship in this case. It just needs a job. Now, for example, what Helen Krebel's proposal proposed was that we, we basically allow employment agencies to set up shop all over the world and to match employees with employers and give them the ability to grant visas after an FBI background check and all the security checks and and all of that and 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 so on, right? Uh, just uh, just uh, you know a a, um, a real background check, and if they can match an employee with an employee, they get a five year visa to come to the United States. Now, together with this, you pass a law that says that when you're on this visa, you cannot get welfare. Now, your kids can still go to public schools. You can still drive on the roads. You can still do all that. But you don't get actual welfare, food stamps, and all the rest of them. It would be illegal for you. See, if you leave your job or if you're fired from your job, you have to leave the country because there is no other source of income for you. And indeed, the visa and conditional that that you keep a job. Now, it doesn't have to stay with the same company. You you could be uh, hired by somebody else. You could swap jobs. But you can't stay, let's say, unemployed for more than three months, or six months, or whatever, right? Also, if you invest in the country, if you build, bring money in the country, if you start a business in the country, that qualifies. So if you can, if you can um, match individuals with jobs, then there's no rights violation going on here. The government has no job here other than to protect us from people who would physically harm us. It has no job here, and it, it just has no role. So that would be my solution as long as there's an entitlement state, is, is that combination. And again, this was a bill that had some support by some Republicans on the Hill. Never went anyway because it never got enough support. And, of course, as you can see, Republicans are anti-immigration. I mean, such a bill would actually increase the number of immigrants. You would get more than a million people coming into this country a year, but you would get them from unexpected places. You would get a lot of Swedes and Norwegians and Germans and Europeans and Israelis and Chinese. Although we don't like Asians, it turns out. I, 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 put, up, I put up a story about how Harvard discriminates against Asians, and there were like people on my, on my feed saying, yeah, we don't need Asians in this country. So, ugh, just, yeah. I find racism in all its different forms, xenophobia in all its different forms, some of the most uh, uh, upsetting and disgusting uh, ideas that exist. And uh, when it, it manifests itself in a variety of different ways, but it always comes out when you talk about immigration. All right, what about, what about people who have bad ideas, right? Uh, I don't know. They could have Nazi ideas. They could have just socialist ideas. What about them? Well, I do not believe that the government should ever be involved in screening for ideology unless that ideology is explicitly associated with an enemy of ours. And we have identified the enemy as in an act of war, some kind of act, and identified that enemy and clearly articulated the case against it. So during World War II, sure, you don't import Nazis. I'd argue today, if we'd have a proper declaration of war, you wouldn't be allowing Muslim immigrants into the country, and the burden of proof would be on the Muslim to show that they weren't affiliated with radical, with the totalitarian Islam. And and if they could prove that, yeah, they could come in. But as long as they can't, they shouldn't be allowed in, and the burden of proof would be on them. 
But as long as the government doesn't declare an enemy, there is no basis, legal, moral, individual rights basis to exclude people based on ideas. And for the government to have a list of unaccepted ideas, I can't think of anything more evil. The whole point of the separation of church and state in the the Constitution was to basically prohibit the government from excluding certain people because of certain ideas, in this case, certain religious beliefs. And it would be wrong. You know, I would expand the separation of church and state to separation of state from ideas. It's not the job of the government, unless the person is inciting violence, to monitor and to, uh, to approve of or not approve of certain ideas. Government doesn't have that responsibility. And look, we, I believe in limiting government. Yeah, government is, 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 is not defending individual rights already. So let's expand. Let's give them more power. Let them build a wall so they can now even more closely figure out who comes into this country and who doesn't come into this country. Let's give them more authority over immigration because, hey, we're small government people. We believe in limited government, so let's expand government. I mean, it's nuts to me. Because we live in such in an environment with a government that is so flawed, you would never want to give that power more, that government more power over your life, and that more power over your life is by deciding who gets to come into the country and who doesn't. Now, let me say this about bad ideologies. The source of bad ideologies is not immigrants. The source of bad ideologies is university professors. So if we start having a litmus test, an ideological litmus test, then let's start deporting university professors. That will be do more to help this country recover ideologically than anything else that we could do. But it's obvious that that's a massive violation of rights, and if, if the government starts rounding up university professors, that's a, that's a massive intrusion into our rights, and everybody knows that's wrong, but we can do it to immigrants, and we can give that power to the government when it comes to immigrants. So, so you know, so that's my proposal with regard to jobs um, and, and why I think, and, and with regard to entitlements. All right, when we come back, We'll talk a little bit more about this. If you want to call in and get in the conversation, 888-900-3393, 888-900-3393. And you're listening to your Ron Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Yaron Brook Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Show. All right, so President Trump's uh, immigration bill, the one that Republicans are putting through Congress, is another statist attempt to control our lives, a statist attempt to define what jobs are needed by the U.S. economy instead of letting the market deal with it. It's, it's more of the statist, collectivist, authoritarian attitude that this administration, the Obama administration, almost every administration in the last 50 years has had towards the U.S. economy and towards the individual rights of Americans. It's depressing. 
It really is depressing because there's no end to this. And, and I see people who claim to be advocates of liberty and freedom, who when it comes to immigration, they fall apart. They completely fall apart. And, and you know, I'm, I'm still struggling to figure out psychologically what is going on. But, you know, you should be embracing immigrants. This is the land of the free. And if people want to come here and be free, great, great. This country is not falling apart because of immigrants. Even California is not falling apart because of immigrants. California and the rest of the country are falling apart because of the crazy intellectuals who run our universities and run our media outlets and who write and who, you know, who are, who are crazy statists and collectivists. And because of our, the religious authorities in this country who continuously advocate for more government intervention in our lives, they are what's destroying this country. The intellectual, spiritual authorities around us. Don't blame the immigrants. And I, I, I believe that if we had the right ideas in this country, if we stood for something, if we stood for individualism, I don't worry about the ideas the immigrants bring with them. I'm going to win that ideological battle because I've got good ideas. The problem today is that we're losing that intellectual battle because we have lousy ideas. We can't challenge socialism in Venezuela. Never mind, you know, the expansion of Medicare and Obamacare. Republicans can't even get rid of that. You're worried about Mexicans or, or foreigners coming in with their bad ideas. I'm worried about the bad ideas in Washington, D.C. Among Republicans, which brings me to rumors about Bannon. Now, you know, these are rumors and the, the, the media, who knows what. But the fact is, I haven't heard Bannon deny them and I haven't heard anybody deny them. So who knows? And they're consistent, I think, with Bannon's whole thinking. So the two rumors uh, that uh, Bannon, Bannon is chief strategist at the White House, chief strategist at the White House. So this is kind of the, the thinking behind the throne, if you will, thinking behind the president, the guy who's a strategist long term. Bannon is advocating supposedly in internal meetings in the White House to raise the top income tax rate to 44 percent, to 44 percent. Um, why, uh, in order to be able to so-called afford a middle-class tax cut, because that's what's needed because of inequality in America and because, you know, I don't know, uh, because he doesn't know economics, I guess, because he knows nothing about how the economy works. Plus, he believes there's massive injustice. I don't believe in taxing the rich uh, any more than taxing anybody else. There should be a flat tax if there's going to be any tax where everybody pays the same rate. I mean, the rich... The wealthy have became wealthy by producing values and creating goods and services that make our lives better already. And then we want to penalize them for that with a higher tax rate. How, did, how disgusting is that? So he wants to raise it from 39.6 to 44. In California, right now I'm paying 55% taxes. And if he raises it to 44, I'll be closing in on 60%. 60%. Taxes are Time, effort, life. He wants to take 60% of my life for his common good, for his ideas. And then the other idea coming out of Bannon is that he wants uh, Facebook and Google to be regulated like public utilities, like the old AT&T, like, like the electric power companies. He wants them regulated because they become so big of a part of our lives that we need now to regulate them and to control them for the public good, 
the common interest. And you tell me there's a difference between the left and the right. You want the right to defeat the left and then we can engage with the right? No, they're the same thing. They're the same thing. The collectivists, the central planners, they, they, they want to sacrifice the individual for the common good. Their immigration policy suggests this. These ideas of bannons about raising, raising taxes and, and on, on the very wealthy and, and regulating Facebook and Google suggest this. The, the fact that they can't get away with, uh, can't, can't really repeal and nobody really wants to repeal. Obamacare suggests this. There is no, there are no good guys in politics today. I mean, there might be a few individuals, uh, putting aside the individuals who are actually fighting this. As a group, there is no good political party today. You know, I shouldn't criticize Trump until we defeat the left. Well, there's no way to defeat the left if you position yourself as pro-Trump. There's no way to defeat the left if you are advocating for collectivistic central planning policies with regard to immigration or with regard to Google and Facebook. There's no way to defeat the left if you are a central planner. You just want to centrally plan your things and let them centrally, and you don't want to centrally plan their things. What this country needs is a revolution, an ideological revolution, a moral revolution, a revolution that upends the current ideological framework left and right. We need the founding fathers back. We need a revolution of individualism and individual freedom and individual rights and the right of any individual to pursue happiness, to be free, to act, to pursue his own happiness in the ways that he sees fit to do so. All right, you're listening to the only show in the country that covers these topics, the Iran Book Show on the Blaze Radio Network. We'll talk next week. Applying the principles of rational self-interest and individual rights on your radio. It's the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network.